One of the things that we planned for the end of this series was, hey, and if you didn't bring food, that's all right. You can uh, get a get a pizza, one of those ready to goes at Little Caesars that are usually not ready to go, but within five minutes they'll have you one. Uh, happened to me last week. Um, but if you uh, if you want to just get something, we'll have drinks and stuff out there. We're just going to have a time where we can spend with our kids, just hang out with them, and we're going to play uh, a. Uh, kickball game that that requires you know you to have a partner it's going to be a lot of fun so uh not going to be out there a real long time but if there was a great day tailor made for a picnic it is today uh so come and, and join us out at reagan park as soon as we're finished one other thing i didn't put on your uh listening guides the announcements is that tuesday is mops mothers of preschoolers and if you are interested that's from 9 30 to 11 30 here at the church there is child care and this week, um, the, there's a special guest speaker, and she's going to be talking about how to protect your kids from child predators. Um, it should be a very in-depth program, and, and I think they've got some things that can they'll, they'll hand out to you that will help you with that as well. Now, as we finish up this series, um, I, I was doing some research this week, and I came across uh, Dr. Wilfred Funk. He is the publisher of English Dictionaries, and he was asked what the uh, uh, most expressive, ten most expressive words were in the English language. And just some of them that I thought were worth noting. The, the most revered word in the English language is mother. Uh, Rick and I have talked about this many times. Go out to one of the prisons and uh, you could do a survey. In fact, they did one somewhere in the United States and, and they had Mother's Day cards, free Mother's Day cards. Almost every inmate took a Mother's Day card. And I thought, well, this is a great thing. Let's uh, do it again on Father's Day. Almost no inmates took a free Father's Day card. Um, moms mean a little bit more, in, in, at least in their lives, than, than fathers do. Maybe it's because the fathers were absent. The most beautiful word is love. Well, the most bitter word is alone. The warmest word is friendship. Now, I kind of want to focus on this alone and this friendship thing, because every one of us can remember what it means to be alone. Now, I'm not talking about having a little space. There are times I like to have my space, but I'm one of those folks, you know, my personality is, is I like crowds. I like to be around people. I like to do stuff. I like my family. You know, I'm one of those guys. I like hanging out with my kids. Times I want to do things, you know, without them. But but I like my wife. Janie, um, Janie was telling me that, that somebody called her the other day and said, can I ask you a question? And, and she said, sure. And she goes, are you happily married? And Janie goes, yeah. And the lady on the other, other end of the phone goes, are we not normal? Because they'd been around a lot of people that were talking about they couldn't communicate and their, their marriages weren't where they wanted to be. And she goes, I love my husband. The lady was telling her, and Janie goes, I, I love my husband too. Um, we, we like to be in relationship because God created us that way. Every one of you can remember what it's like to be alone, right? When I graduated from college, I moved from from Waco to um, Bedford, Texas, and I worked in downtown Dallas at this computer firm. And I worked nights, and and the reason I worked nights, everybody told me to work nights so that you could have your evenings free, so that you could have a life. Well, I went to my brother's church, and at that time, it was First Baptist Colleyville was a pretty small church, and you know, it was the singles department was like me and two other people, and and uh, two thirds of that that singles department is probably still single. Um, you know, one of those deals. And uh, so I just I was I was assuming that 
because I worked this weird shift and, you know, because, you know, I just gotten out of college and all this stuff, I was 23 years old. I was assuming that people couldn't get a hold of me because, you know, they didn't know when I was sleeping during the day and, and I was working during the night. So, you know, when I first moved into my apartment, I had nothing. So I went down and I bought a TV and put it on the, the box. That was my, my TV stand because I couldn't afford anything else. My first mattress was one of those little foam things that, you know, that you roll out. And that was that was my mattress in my bedroom. Then my brother sells me a, a queen size bed for 75 bucks. So I had a bed and then that mattress became my couch. I mean, you talk about no life loser. That was me. But I thought that, you know, surely somebody was trying to call me when I wasn't there. So I get an answering machine. And it confirmed my worst fears. I was a loser because I'd come home and there were no blinks on that light. I mean, it was bad news. I remember. And I almost made some really dumb decisions because of that. Being alone. I didn't want to be alone. I didn't like it. Hung out with my brother. He was married. I'd coached his his son's uh, little baseball team just to have something to do. During the evenings, because, you know, it was me and the TV and I bought a VCR and, you know, I had no life. The reason that we hate that is because God created us for two relationships. One is a relationship with him and the other is a relationship with other people. So we hate being alone. And since we have this great need for friends that was built within us, maybe we should pay attention to the types of friends that we have. Because here's a life principle. This is on your listening guide. The friends in our lives influence and determine the direction and quality of our lives. The friends in our lives influence and determine the direction and quality of our lives. I just mentioned that to Janie this week and she goes, oh, my goodness, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. She said some of the situations she put herself in back in college were horrible situations. Some of the things that I did are just just horrible. And I imagine we could spend a lot of time talking about that. I want you to watch this little commercial. This is a public service announcement. And check out this guy's friends. Told me to smoke some pot, and I did. Mm-hmm. Then today, they said I should try and fit my fist into my mouth. It fits, but I can't get it out. Mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. I'm under the influence of others. Mm-hmm. And that ain't me. That's what he said. Now, what do you think his friends did when he got his hands stuck in his mouth? Laughed at him. And that probably was the topic of conversation for a long time. Whenever I go to the jail to visit folks that are in jail, um, you know what they tell me about their friends? They're nowhere to be found. People they thought they were friends um, bailed on them. In fact, that's one way you can find out where, um, who your true friends are is when you go through tough times, true friends are going to stick with you. Those that uh, run from you, they're not really your true friends. And so what we've got to do is we've got to figure out who we're hanging out with and, and uh, spend some time with quality folks. Now, our friends, our friends influence us on so many levels. So let's just do some reminiscing. Some of us have more reminiscing to do than others because we got more years to reminisce. You know, thinking back that um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at my hometown and we actually went into the high school looking for the, the district championship trophy from my senior year in high school. It's the first time we'd won district in, you know, like 19 years. And it was a big deal. And sucker ain't even in the trophy case, you know, that type of deal. Couldn't find it. We had to go ask and they were like, oh, yeah, we know where that is. But we didn't we never found it. 
Now, I want you to think back to those high school years, those teenage years. And I want you to think about the clothes that you wore. Were they influenced? Your choice of clothes, was it influenced by your friends? I wore bell bottoms. Is that because it was a good idea? (laughs) It was cool back then. Would I wear them today? No, 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 no. Um, I I couldn't wear them. Caleb and I were talking about this. Back when I was a sophomore in college, I did this little skit. He did a skit the other night at Awana, and so we were talking about skits. And I was telling him about one of the decisions that I made, the clothes that I wore back then. This skit, it was it was City Slicker and Country Sam. And I was City Slicker, and, and it's kind of funny because it was Janie's youth minister at the time. He was, he was Country Sam. He looked like Country Bumpkin, you know. Anyway, I was the one who hated being at youth camp. But what I wore was my pink and green striped polo shirt with the collar flipped up. My uh, sunglasses that were the type, I mean, exact same ones that, that Tom Cruise wore in Risky Business. Y'all, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. I had clothes on, though. I wasn't dancing in my underwear or anything like that. Um, and I had 501 jeans on and penny loafers. And I remember this cute girl tells me after my skit, she said, you should always wear 501 jeans. You know what I bought for the next 10 years? 501 jeans. You know what I wear now? Whatever I can get for under 10 bucks, because I don't care what my rear looks like now. All right. You understand we're influenced by those things. This one cute girl said it and I was not going to wear anything else. It didn't matter what it cost. And, you know, I guess getting over 40, you realize there are just certain body parts. Never mind. We want to go into that. Um, I want you to think about your regrets in life. What did friends have to do with those experiences? I took my first drink of alcohol, hanging out with a bunch of guys that played on the football team because I wanted to look cool. I snuck out of my house. My parents, for the longest time till I was well into college, my parents thought I really did go to bed at 930 at night. And I would hear him go by. He'd rev up his car, you know, when he'd go by. And that was my little signal. And I would go crawl out the basement window and go run around all night. Did it many times. Influenced friends. I jumped into a lake. That was 40 degrees surface temperature off this big old rock because my friend dared me to. And I very quickly understood why people die in cold water, because I used to think, how can you drown? You know, you just swim. I hit that water. I could not breathe. And it was all I could do. My, My muscles were locking up. It was all I could do to get back to shore because someone dared me to. And because the double dog dared me, you have to do it. Because you have no brain of your own. Um, I snuck into my high school at night at least five different times because of my friends. And, and what's really stupid is where we used to sneak in was there was a tree on this side that you could go up and there's no lights. And it's real easy. You climb up the tree, you jump over onto the roof. And then there was this one window that was broken. We knew about we didn't break it. We just discovered it. And you could crawl in the gym and then go running around. Well, that wasn't. That wasn't um, enough of a challenge. So what we did was we ran around to the side where the main highway goes through Borger, Texas, and there's this big spotlight and you had to crawl up the rain drain because it was a challenge. We were, we were not real. Alex actually said that as we're driving around Borger, he goes, 
you weren't real smart, were you? I said, no, 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 no. We often choose our clothes, our addictions, our music, our movies, and even marriage because of our friends. One of our team members this week, we were, we were talking about this whole idea, and she said she actually heard someone say, well, all of my friends were getting married, so I decided to get married. How dumb is that? I mean, if you've been married, you know, just because your friends are getting married, that's not a reason to get married. Marriage is difficult. But really, it's not a good reason to do anything just because your friends are doing it. Um, Proverbs 13:20 says this. This is what we got to, to focus on today. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Um, when I think about all the things that were influenced by my friends, all my decisions, the movie title that comes to mind is Dumb and Dumber, because you couldn't say any of those things that we did were wise decisions. I wasn't walking with the wise. I hung out with fools and, and my life almost fell to pieces. Now, when I was with my brothers, my brothers were 12 and 14 years older than me. My sister was seven years older than me when I was with them, when I was with my youth minister, when I was with my, my football coach, who was a deacon at, at one of the Baptist churches. When I was with those folks, I made wise choices because they were wiser than me. But when I was with fools, I suffered the consequences and stood before the judge, you know, a couple of different different times. And, and he actually said, you guys aren't very smart. And we're like, no, sir, no, sir, we're not very smart. Thinking that if we admitted our stupidity, that maybe he'd be lenient on us. And he really wasn't. So what we got to do is we got to be proactive instead of reactive when it comes to our kids. So we got to ask two questions. And here it is. First question. We need to ask them today, but we probably need to ask them every day. Is there anyone in my child's life that I need to dial out? <laughs> is there an influence that you need to dial out? Janie and I talk about this all the time, that we've got to be very careful about who our kids are hanging out with because the influences are going to shape them. They're going to help the direction and quality of their lives. If I could go back and, and dial someone out of my life, I know which people I would dial out of my life. In fact, I want you to think about that. You don't have to mention a name or anything like that, but I want you to think about somebody that you always got in trouble with. And if you could go back and dial that person out, who would it be? You know, you don't have to share a name, but maybe a situation. Think about it. You got one? Share it with your neighbors real quick. 30 seconds or less. Somebody that you would dial out or a situation that you wish you had dialed somebody out of your life. Y'all are speaking quietly because you don't want anyone to know. <laughs> now, oh yeah, y'all are getting into this one. Now, I want you to think about the opportunity we have. Whether you have children or not, the fact that you're in this church means you have an opportunity to influence the future. Because we regularly have 40 to 50 children downstairs. In fact, some of our folks that are regularly up here are downstairs working today, influencing the lives of children. Um, so whether you have children or not, that's not even the issue. You can have an impact on the future, but we've got to be proactive instead of reactive. Now, I want you to think about that as you watch this. We're going back to Adam Sandler in, in Big Daddy because this is actually a pretty good deal where he he finds out or he hears that uh, maybe ch uh, friends can influence your children. And here's what he does whenever he finds that out. You know, Sonny, I think it's great what you're doing with Julian while you got him. 
Yeah, well, I got him. I was reading this article the other day that was saying the most important influences in a kid's life are his friends. Really? They said that? Mm-hmm. You just better hope he's not hanging out with all those drug dealers and delinquents in school. Sonny, I'm kidding. I know, I know. Man, it's you who is good. You know what else is good? Smoking dope. Ain't gonna rat you out, you know. Puffing the Chiba. Go by the seesaw, smoke a J. You know what I'm talking about? I have a belly button. You have a belly button? Well, we all have belly buttons. You know what? We all love Yoo-Hoo. Especially Yoo-Hoo with a little rum. What's rum? You don't know what rum is. Rumpelstiltskin? Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin's a good man. So are you guys. Hey, stay clean. Stay focused. Stay strong. Frankenstein, have fun with your friends. Now, I'm not sure that, that um, I would have done it that way. I would have gone about it that way. But you get the point that he's becoming involved in his kids' lives. And uh, I don't think it's ever too early to start asking, you know, are your kids hanging out with the right type of people? But it's also never too late to do that. Um, I heard a preacher years ago. He's, he's passed away. I think he passed away three years ago. His name's E.V. Hill. Um, and Evie is one of the best communicators that I've ever heard. And in fact, my brother told me years ago that Evie had preached his wife's funeral. And so uh, years ago, I, I got on uh, Focus on the Family's website. In fact, I looked at it this week and it's still there. It's still one of the top 100 requested programs ever at Focus on the Family. And we're going to play you a clip of Evie, uh, you're going to hear the audio, this is a picture of him, of him preaching his wife's funeral, and I wanted you to hear what he had to say about his daughter. And I want to drop a word, be careful who your children are mating up with. You can't get no racehorses out of you. sitting here, fell in love with something that knocked on my door once. And he said, is no rules here? I said, yeah. I said, not for you. Well, I'll come and see it. You can't. You mean I can't sit? No. Who said so? I did. I'm her father. You don't even look like. <laughs> what I'm looking for. And is it her choice? No. You got to break up somehow. And all would come running down. Was that for me? No. That wasn't for you at all. Well, wasn't that so and so? Yes. Well, why did, why did you run him away? I said, because he wasn't for you. And she looked at me and she said, well, I think he's a nice poison. And I said, go get your mother. I want to ask her a question. I have never had no doubts before. But I, I, I want to know now, are you really mine?
attempted to hurt me, but it didn't because I, I was aware of a motive. She said, I will never marry a man like you. You're chauvinist. You're a dictator. She said, you're good for my mother, but never for me. So I finally married her. I'm the president of the National Chauvinist Association. I married her to the vice president. thanking God for my son-in-law. My daughter is an attorney practicing in Bronx, New York, and my son-in-law is an attorney practicing on Wall Street. You have to mate them up. I said said to her, I think he's a nice person. I told Janie, I want a funeral like that, um, where we talk about life and we celebrate life. And I just like what he said. You don't even look like what I'm looking for my daughter. Sometimes you got to break them up. If you ever get a chance, you ought to order that. It, on CD, I think it's nine bucks, but it's one of the most incredible messages that I've ever heard. His whole point was, as parents, we got to be involved. It is not... Just my child's choice. If I see them going down the wrong path, it is my responsibility before God to dial that person out. To make it a little bit more difficult for them to hang out with them. Because if the environment our kids put themselves in is filled with fools, what is going to happen to our kids? They are going to gravitate to the level of fools. But if you take it the other way, And if if the environment that my kids hang out with is filled with wise people, what happens to my children? They are raised up to make wiser decisions. That only makes sense. Um, So if you are uncomfortable with somebody that your children are hanging out with, make it more difficult for them to hang out with them. And some of you are going to squirm a little bit and you're going to go, isn't that manipulation? Well, yeah, (laughs) but I'm not called to be my child's friend while they're my child in my house. I am called before God to do everything I can to prepare that child for a future that honors God and loves people. And so I don't have to answer to my child right now about that. Whenever they're out of my house, they become adults, then, then we'll hang out. We'll be friends. We do lots of stuff together. We have fun together. But my responsibility is not to be their friend right now. My responsibility is to be their parent. Well, so here's the second question. Who do I need to dial in? Because there are certain relationships that I want my kids to have. You need a whole lot of people in your child's world saying the same things that you say. Had a young girl in my youth group in uh, Arlington. 
who was dating a boy that was that was just about Satan reincarnated. I mean, this guy, the mom told me one time that this kid reminded her of David Koresh. You remember him in Waco, the Branch Davidians, because he had so much manipulative power over young girls. And uh, this girl came to talk to me and then she goes home and talks to her mom and said, well, Doug said this. Well, what does mom do? Mom gets on the phone, calls me. And says, did you say that? I said, no, ma'am. I said, why don't we have a, a, a meeting where you and your husband and your daughter and I are all in the same room? And then there'll be no misunderstanding about what I said and what I didn't say. So we had a meeting and I looked this beautiful young girl in the eyes and I said, I will never tell you anything that contradicts what your parents say. They are in charge. <laughs> and we are on the same team, your parents and I. I want people in my kids' lives who say the same things that I say. Um, we went to see my brother last month, my oldest brother. And this is the brother that, that really was like a father figure to me. Taught me how to hunt and fish. And I remember mowing lawns with him. And we would read the Bible before we'd go mow a lawn. And he would, he would ask me questions about it. And, and I find myself doing the same thing with my son. And we were down there, we went to an Astros game and we went to the beach and, you know, just hung out with him. And my brother, somewhere along the conversation, he goes, he goes, you know, you ought to let Sandra and me watch the kids one weekend while you and Janie have a romantic weekend. I'm like, OK, sure. Cool. Part of my motivation is selfish because I just like hanging out with my wife. But part of my motivation is I would love to dial in my brother and my sister-in-law in my kids lives because they're the, as solid as they come. A lot of my ideas about how to do church came from my brother. I lived with him one summer while I was in college and they did house churches. And, and I saw some things there that I'd never been exposed to before. And I learned a lot about how to really be a Christian from my brother and my sister-in-law. And I would love for my kids to have more of a place. Uh, my brother and sister-in-law to have more kids more in my kids life, more of a place in their lives. Because my brother had influence. And if I had to go back and dial one person in to my teenage years, it would have been my brother. Because of all those things he did for me, I listened to him. I talked to him. We had all kinds of deep conversations. My dad, simply because my dad was not parented well, my dad actually dialed himself out of my life. Because he was always working. He'd come home from work at 5.05, we'd have supper. At 5.15, he'd be in the garage working on a car. And you wouldn't see Dad the rest of the night unless he needed you to come pump the brakes to bleed the air out of the lines. And I hated doing that because it usually was during happy days, you know, and I wanted to watch happy days. I didn't want to be out there pumping the thing. Pump it harder! You know, that was my quality time with my dad was in the garage. So Dad had dialed himself out. My brother, I would love to have had him during my teenage years because I know he would have protected me from a lot of heartache. And so my question is, are you making it easier for your kids to have the right type of relationships? One of the things that my kids will never, ever be grounded from is church or church related activities. When I was in youth ministry for 19 years, I saw this all the time. A parent would get really ticked off at their kid and they would basically put them in prison in their house for two weeks, four weeks, depending on how serious it was, how mad the parents were, you know, or how um, mouthy the child was whenever they first, my roommate in college, man, he would start off, he would tell me this and his mom confirmed it. His mom would say, you're grounded for a week. And he goes, oh, is that all? And she goes, how about make it two weeks? And they would do this thing till he's like grounded for six years, you know, 
type deal. And then he's like, that's just stupid. And she go, yeah, I know. But she wouldn't back off until, you know, then he started driving her crazy. Because when you ground your kids for your own sanity, I did something really, really dumb when I was in my first year in college. No, when I was a senior in high school and I violated my parents' trust and my best friend, uh, his parents, I looked them in the eye and said I wouldn't let him do something. And then I led him to do that. And and uh, anyway, bad, bad choices. And so I had to come home and look my parents' friends in the eyes and admit that, that we'd been drinking and doing some things we shouldn't have done. And I said, you're not going to tell my parents, are you? And his mom did one of the wisest things she could have ever done. She said no. And I was like, ah, oh. and she goes, you are. And I went, oh, dude. So I walked out of there with my head hung low and, and I go to my parents and I say, I got to tell you something. The reason that this happened is because I had been drinking and I led my best friend to drink and I'm just an idiot. And they're like going, yeah, yeah, we agree. You are. Well, I my parents had this thing. If you told the truth, you didn't get in very bad trouble. So because they heard it from me and not from somebody else, which was like the first time ever in my life that that happened. I was a senior in high school. They didn't do anything to me. So I self-imposed a two-week grounding. And by the end of the second week, mom, I'm not kidding, mom says, why don't you get out of the house tonight? And I'm like, no, I'm grounded. She goes, I didn't ground you. And she pulls out money and she's like, please go somewhere. Because I was driving her nuts hanging around the house. And um, one of the things that that you shouldn't do, and I'm just going to offer this up, don't ever ground your kids from church because they may hear about God at church and turn their lives over to him. But if there is an opportunity for them to connect with somebody that has a brain about God and about doing life, it's probably going to be at church. And so I want my kids to always have that opportunity to go to church. I'm not going to ground them from that. And especially don't ground them from a church that is a grace dispensing church that will help them understand about the junk that's going to happen to them in life. Because I started to say, I don't know where we got this idea that when you become a Christian, life is rosy. I do know where that came from. It came from some of these televangelists that that talk about if you just have enough faith, everything will go great. That doesn't square with reality. Reality is, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. Now, he doesn't say you might. He says you will. And so if I'm going to have to choose, if I'm going to believe a televangelist or Jesus, I'm going to go with Jesus because he's the one that died and came back from the grave. You know, all of that stuff. I'm going to believe him. He says you will have trouble in this world. You will have difficulties. Then he says, but take heart. I've conquered the world. So Jesus was real upfront about the fact he's talking to his followers, the closest, the chosen few. The ones that he personally trained, he says, you are going to have difficulties in this world, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He says, um, life is hard, but we win in the end. So if you're a follower of Christ, then you already know the outcome. Now, some of the battles that we're going through day to day are tough, but we know that we win in the end. And I want as many people as possible telling my kids that. Because, you know, you've done this before. Your parents said something, you know, for 18, 20 years, and then you go off to college and someone else says it, and you come home and you say, guess what I heard? And your parents are like, I told you that! Right? Who cares? It's not a competition. If my kids don't get it from me and they get it from Wes, praise God they got it. If Caleb is at his small group and, and Alex says something and Caleb comes home and goes, Dad, guess what? Alex said this. I'm just going to go, yay God, he got it. <laughs> I don't care where he got it. He got it. Yay. Most of you know the story of the prodigal son. 
um, he goes to his dad while his dad's still alive. And basically he says, Dad, I want my inheritance because you're not dying quickly enough. I can't sit around and waste my life waiting on you to kick the bucket. So go ahead and give me my inheritance. Unheard of in the Jewish world. But the dad does it. Prodigal son gets all his thousands of dollars, runs off. And, and the Bible says in the King James, this is one of the things I, I like the King James translation says he he's wasted it in riotous living, riotous living, wild living, women, drugs, alcohol, gambling. And then the Bible says that when he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. So he had to go to feeding pigs, which is also something you didn't do if you were a Jew. They they. Didn't eat them. You certainly wouldn't want to feed them. And so they, they, he has to feed the pigs. And he's in such a bad situation that what the pigs are eating looks good to him. And he decides that he's wanting to eat it. And then the Bible says something. Here's the turning point. And you have this. Uh, I think you're on your listening guide. If not, it's up here. Luke 15, 17. He finally came to his senses. Now, when, when Janie and I pray... We don't pray that um, God will keep our kids from pain. We don't do that because we don't believe that's reality. What we pray is, God, in the middle of that pain, I pray that you will make them look more like Jesus Christ. Because that's what, that's what Romans says. Romans 8, 28. Um, we know that all things happen together for good to those who are, uh, or, um, for those who are called according to God's purpose, those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things happen good. It doesn't say everything that happens is good. It doesn't say that everything that happens is God's fault. What it says is whether good or bad things are happening in your life, God will cause them to make you look more like Christ. That's actually down in verse 29. He says, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the good God will do in your life, if you allow him to, is he'll make you look like Christ. So what we pray is not that God will keep our kids from pain, but that in good or bad situations, God will make them look more like Jesus Christ. That's what we pray for them. But every one of us here has done something. We've lost our minds and done something that was totally irrational, right? I mean, it could be a financial thing. We could sit around and talk about dumb financial decisions we've made. I've done those. It could be a relationship thing. It could be a business decision, you know, job, whatever. We've all done some dumb things. But my prayer is that if my kids lose their minds, there'll be a day that they'll come to their senses. Like my friend Julie, who it took her till she was 30, and I know it just killed her mom. But she remembered what her daddy taught her. And I want as many people as possible talking in my kids' lives about what's really important so that maybe they don't have to go as far off base as I did. That's why I tell them the stories, not so that they can say, well, you did it. And I'm going to say, well, I was stupid. Don't be stupid. Be smarter than your dad. I tell them those stories to say, I was an idiot, and you don't have to be an idiot. Please don't be an idiot. But if they are, I want them to remember to come to their senses and to come to God. Now, that will only happen if I am intentional about dialing out certain relationships and dialing in certain other relationships. Because here's the deal. I want to enhance my relationship with my kids. I want to advance their relationship with God. And I want to influence the relationships they have with people outside my home. Because my goal is to raise children who love God, who love the local church. I don't care what they do for a living. That does not matter to me. 
If they love God, they love the local church. If I pour value into them, if you all pour value into my children, then they are going to come up and they're going to be emotionally healthy. They're going to seek out emotionally healthy relationships. They're going to marry somebody who's emotionally healthy, who loves God and loves the local church. And then they're going to raise another generation of kids that do the same thing. And isn't that the key to emotional health in America? One family at a time. It starts with my kids. It starts with yours. But it takes a choice to get them there. Do you take your um, registration cards and fill those out? 